Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Church, if you were here on Sunday, we learned an amazing lesson on faith. You see, it was an official, a nobleman, who came 16 miles to beg Jesus to come and heal his sick son. And history implies that it might have been a very, very small child. We learned that, that most of the kids in that time didn't, didn't make it past five years old, which broke my heart even more. Could you imagine your five-year-old boy laying in bed? And so he comes to Jesus 16 miles The Bible says that he looked at Jesus and told him he was at the point of dying. Well, as the story goes, the nobleman begs Jesus to come back, if you will, to Capernaum and heal his son. I mean, I would definitely do the same thing. I likened it a lot to our prayers when we ask God. There are times, guys, when we'll pray our little 30-second prayer on the way to work, Lord Jesus, help me. And there are times when we're going to be crying out to God, begging him to hear our prayer. I believe this is one of those times where the nobleman was begging Jesus to come and heal his son. And all of a sudden, the address that Jesus gives, he looks and he kind of addresses the crowd and he says this, unless you people see signs and wonders you will by no means believe. And I'm thinking, that's not the answer I want. That's not what I asked you, Lord. I mean, hey, Jesus, I'm, I'm over here, my son. Listen, let's stay focused, Lord. And he's looking at the crowd. The, the word you indicates it's plural, and so he's looking at the crowd. Well, like any good parent, church, This wasn't the answer he wanted, so he begged Jesus all the more. Come, please, come, come, come. And then Jesus looks at him, guys, and I believe with just these piercing eyes, eyes of love, he looks at him and he gives him six six words, six life-changing words. He says, Jesus says, go your way, your son lives. That's all he told him, go your way, your son lives. And now... What we learn next is the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. And he went his way. The Bible says he went his way. He didn't go home. You know what? When I pray, I'm looking for tangible evidence. I'm looking for tangible evidence. God, I need to see this. I need, I need to see something. And, and, and so he said, no, he went, he went his way. He, he went his way. He continued in his business believing full well that Jesus healed his son and that he would see that faith tomorrow. Tomorrow. And I was thinking about this and I was like, wow, as I studied the text last week, guys, the Holy Spirit was heavy upon my heart. You go, why? I knew that if it had been, if it had been me, I don't know if I could leave without some kind of tangible evidence from Jesus. If Jesus looked at me and I was there 16 miles away from my children being sick and I said, please, and he said, go your way, your daughter is healed, go your way, your son is healed. I don't know if I could have just been like, yes, sir, and I could have just went on my way. I'm telling you, this is what I struggled with back and forth. And you go, why? Because I really believed my faith needed assurance. 
I really believe that. Sometimes my faith needs that assurance that I'm, I'm walking with God. And as I thought about my walk with God and how if I were in need of some miracle or I needed a prayer answered, could I take Jesus at his word? Could I take him at his word? And I remember struggling with this, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. You go, what, Pastor? I realized that I wanted to know Jesus so well in this life that whatever he told me, I would believe, and I would take him at his word. You go, Pastor, I'm not sure what you're saying. As I studied the text, church, and if this is a safe place and we can be honest in church, there were, I looked at my life and I said, I want to know God so well on this life that if Jesus looked at me and said, go your way, your son lives, I would just believe him without a shadow of a doubt. Pastor, are you there? That's the problem. There are times in my life I don't feel like I'm there. You go, well, what, what is it that you need? I think what I really need at times in my life is a faith lift. Don't you? There are times when we really need to walk closer to Jesus more than anything else. And you go, well, what's your point, Pastor? You ready? It's easy, far too easy to settle in to a comfortable, routine Christianity. It's just far too easy. Can we agree that it's easy for us to drift into a safe Comfortable routine where our heart is not panting after the living God like the thirsty deer after the water brook. We go through the motions and I find myself pastoring 14 years going, okay, God, things are going really good. I love my church. Things are well. Oh, Lord, that's good. And I find myself not panting, not hunger, knowing the living God. And I believe, guys, there are times when our hearts grow dull and our vision in faith in God eventually become blurred. You go, what do you mean? Ask yourself this question before I go on. Before I go on, would you have believed if Jesus told you, go your way, your son lives? Would you really have believed that? Or would you be hanging on to Jesus' robe going, I believe you, Lord, but come on, just make sure. Just make sure. What we really need, guys, in our lives, I believe, is, is a move of God's Holy Spirit, and I believe we need revival in our lives. And the Lord spoke to me, if I'm going to walk close, if I'm going to walk as close to Jesus as I possibly can, then I need to let distractions go. We fight distractions in our life that want to pull us away from our walks with God. Things in my life that simply want to distract me from the mission of knowing Jesus. Listen, church, listen. Heaven, heaven, it's done. It's there. It's yours. You don't have to worry about it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ covered you. That is taken care of. But in this life, our goal and our heart's desire should be panting after 
God with all of our heart. It should be, this is the only thing that I breathe. The only thing I live for is to know God. And yet I find myself being distracted by all kinds of things that want to vie my attention. Come on over here. Hey, don't forget this. Oh, what, what about this? And I'm going, God, I, you spoke to me. You spoke to me. I want to know you. I want to know you. You see, the book of Ezra, as we come to it, is, is a book of spiritual renewal, revival. The people are coming home thinking they're building a foundation, the temple, but God is going to build in them a spiritual foundation. As we go through the book of Ezra, you can jot this down, keep it in mind, whatever you need to do. There are going to be distractions. There are going to be things that want to distract the children of Israel from the mission at hand. You go, what was the mission? Twofold. They want to build the temple so that they can worship, and then God wants to build in them the foundation and, and grow spiritually. The book of Ezra falls in to two sections. Chapters 1 to 6 deal with the initial return of the remnant from Babylon under the leadership of a fellow by the name of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel in about 538 BC with the aim of restoring the temple. The project began about 536 BC, two years later, but opposition quickly arose leading to the abandonment of the project for 16 years. Can you imagine? They come back excited to build the temple. Guys, it's a place to worship God. And all of a sudden, they're being, help me church, distracted. They're being distracted, so much so that they, they don't even mess with the temple for 16 years. What are you doing here? We're building a temple. How's it going? I don't know. We haven't talked about it for 16. I mean, think about it. So, so listen, listen. Ready? What in your life is distracting you from where you want to be with God? What in your life are you allowing Sometimes it's routine. Sometimes it's routine. What do you do when I get home? I put on the TV and I just kind of go through. I mean, it's just a routine. But you realize, is this, is this, am I being distracted from? Maybe there's some things social media wise. I ain't lying. We'll go to pray and all of a sudden you start looking and going, hey, look at that. Oh, well, look at that. And then you find yourself not, hey, am I the only one? We just, oh. 16, guys, listen, listen. They came in, and two years later, let's do this. But opposition came in. Hey, 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 don't, you don't want to build a temple. You don't want to build a temple. Don't build a temple. Don't, don't build a temple. And obviously, through the ministries and the prophets of Haggai and Zechariah, the construction was renewed, coming to, com- to completion in about 515 B.C. And between chapters 6 and 7, if you're taking out, there's a 58-year gap in which the events of the book of Ezra take place. At the beginning of chapter 7, in about 457 B.C., 81 years after their first return, Ezra, the priest, led another smaller group to return to the land and bring renewal to the people. So we're going to see Zerubbabel come first, and then we're going to see Ezra. But here's what I want you to grasp, guys. I want you to see... Just like the children of Israel, the enemy is trying to distract you. Opposition is trying to distract you from a closer walk with God. 
A closer walk with God to where you know him and you know him and you know him and you're standing upon his word. And when he looks at you and you pray and he says, go your way, your son lives, whatever that means for you, you go amen and you walk away and you don't have to go home because you know he answered your prayer. Even if Jesus tells you no, even if he said, no, go your way, your son's going to die, go home and hug him, you can still praise the living God because you know him so well and you trust the sovereignty of who he is. Pastor, that's really hard. I know, that's what I'm telling you. In our flesh, in our weakened state, in, in the place where you and I are not walking close to Jesus, it's super hard. I need tangible evidence. I need to see, give me an email. Write me a letter. Jesus, give me your scarf, and when I see it's done, I'll give it back to you. That's not what our heart, that's not what faith is. But let me ask you this. The Bible tells us what? That faith cometh by hearing, and hearing, what? What are we hearing? How do we grow in faith? The Word of God. The Word of God. Listen, I'm not here to beat anybody on the head, but but let, let's, not, let's not put our Bibles down on Sunday. All right, there it is. And we never pick them up again. Oh, it's, it's, well, it's time for church. Oh, got it, got it, okay. That, that's not going to grow our faith, church. It's not going to grow our faith. Listen, we need to know this. First thing we need to do is, do you believe this? Do you believe this, that this is God's spoken word? Genesis, do you believe that? Oh, Pastor, I do. Okay, so do you stand on it? Do you stand on that? What do we say? What do we say on what do we say on Sunday? We need to doubt our doubts, don't we? We need to doubt our doubts. Why? Because the enemy comes and goes, hey, that's not really the word of God. I mean, think about it. What do you mean? How is it that 81 years after they were commissioned to go back, that they're coming back to build the temple and, and, and to grow. Back in our story. Now remember, guys, what we talked about last week. In the book of Jeremiah, we learned that it was for 40 years, he was a prophet speaking out against the nation of Israel. He was preaching a message to them, and the message that he declared was that it was imperative that they turn from their idolatry. Remember, we talked about that last week, all about their idolatries. And some of the idols Jeremiah preached against were called the Astaroth, the god of sensuality. The other one was called Molech. This was the god of prosperity and sacrificing your children. In the name of convenience. Then there was the God of Baal, immorality with the intellect, as well as the God of Mammon. Jeremiah is going, guys, please turn, please turn, please turn. Now, in Jeremiah, we discovered the problem. The idolatry had completely engulfed God's people to the extent that they walked away from the Lord and began to worship these things. That's what idolatry does, church. It takes us away from God. So what does God do? God raises up a nation to discipline Israel. Now let me say right there, listen, 
Oftentimes when we hear the word discipline, help me church, ouch, it's negative, but discipline is good because here's what the Bible says. If Jesus, if God is disciplining you as his kid, it's because he loves you. If you're able to sin and get away with it without discipline, you better check your Bible. If there is no discipline, guys, listen, we discipline our children. It's not because we're big meanies, because we love them. We want them to grow. God is going to raise up. He says, Israel, listen, I've got to stop this. Why? Because you will corrupt and you will destroy yourself. You will destroy yourself. So what does he do, church? Remember, he raises up the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar, right? To come in and he just captures them. Now, for the sake of our study, guys, go back one page to 2 Chronicles 36. We read this last week, but we'll read it right now to get a good feel for what's going on. 2 Chronicles, one page back from Ezra, 2 Chronicles 36, picking it up in verse 15, and it says, The Lord God of their father sent warning to them by messengers, rising up early and sending them because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. Stop right there. As Pastor Josh and I, we were having lunch today, and we were talking about as in the days of Noah versus the hurricanes and the fires and the earthquakes that we have experienced in our world in 2017. You go, what was it? I believe that God really loved us enough to warn us. Now, in the days of Noah, right before the flood, the Bible doesn't say, so I'm not going to say, but I'm going to give you my opinion. I looked at Josh and I said, what if God sent some rain? Well, it doesn't say, I don't know. But what if? What if he said, listen, this is going to happen. It's 120 years. Or you go, well, I don't know if he sent rain. But what if he, in, in, in localized area, brought up water from underneath the ground to flood so God would bring warning because he loved people? He knows they're about to perish. God doesn't sit there and go, well, all of you, watch, check this out. Only eight people are going to survive. He was going, stop, please. Stop, please. Stop, please. And he says, listen, he's been, he had compassion on his people, on his dwelling place. Notice what they did, verse 16. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at the prophets until the word arose Against his people until there was no remedy. They mocked him. Therefore, he brought against them the king of the Chaldeans who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on the young men or virgin, on the aged or the weak. He gave them all into his hand. Can you imagine? Nebuchadnezzar came in like a flood, guys, and he destroyed everyone. A lot of times we like to picture the Bible of just kind of going, oh, well, Nebuchadnezzar came in and he says, hey, listen, it's going to be bad for y'all. So let's just everybody get in a single line and we're going to march to about. That's not how he did it. He came in with brutal force and he killed, notice, he killed, he killed grandmas and grandpas. That's what it says. He killed those that couldn't get up and walk. He killed all the young men. And all the articles from the house of, 
of God, great and small, the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king and his leaders and all these he took to Babylon. So he goes in the temple and he gets all of the, all of the articles and, and they burned the house of God, broke down the walls of Jerusalem, burned all its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious possessions. Now I want you to stop for just a moment. Picture the scene. There you are and you see Nebuchadnezzar coming with the Babylonians and the place you worshiped all your life is broken and, and you see destruction everywhere. What are you going to do? You're going to cry out to God, God, why? And yet he's going, I've been trying to get a hold of you for a long time. I've been trying to send you warning, warning after I sent you prophets. You're not listening to me. Hosea came in and was telling you about the Assyrians. You know what? Jeremiah, Isaiah, guys, what's going on? And you're going, but God, you don't love us because look what you're doing. And I reel that in, guys, to our lives today. And that's a lot what happens. We walk so far from God. And then when God wants to discipline us, we go, what are you doing? God must not love me. On the contrary, he loves you that much that he wants to discipline you, wants to bring you back. He wants to bring you back. So they burned the house of God and all those who escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon and they became servants. We know that in the book of Daniel and they began to fulfill the word of the Lord by mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. As long as they lay desolate, she kept the Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. About a 1,000 years prior to this, remember in Leviticus, he writes that the land had to what? Rest every seventh year. 490 years, guess what happened? They didn't allow it. Look at verse 22. Now the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all the kingdom and also put all in writing saying, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia. If you're taking note, Persia is Iran, modern day Iran. All the kingdoms of the earth of the Lord of heaven is given to me and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you of all his people. May the Lord his God be with you and let him go up. That's all Second Chronicles 36, 22 and 23 tells us, okay? Now, remember, hold on to that, okay? Because let me give you a rundown of these four kings over the last 70 years. If you were here in our Daniel study, you might remember him, but the first king was under Nebuchadnezzar. Powerful king. And then there was Belshazzar. And then there was Darius, and last was Cyrus. Cyrus was king of Persia, started in 560 BC, but I'm going to show you something this, something real quick, okay? Now, I want you to catch this. Cyrus has been king in Persia since about 560 BC. You go, Pastor, what does that mean to me? But the first year as the ruler who conquered Babylon was at 538 BC. Okay? You go, what does that mean? Well, just kind of keep this in mind. Okay, keep this in mind. It's going to be real important. So verses 22 and 23 are identical to chapter 1, 1 and 2. It's like you could just intertwine them right there. Now, again, what happened? It was 490 years. Israel didn't keep the Sabbath. The land was supposed to rest. God says, nope, not going to do it, not going to do it. God took Israel out of the land for 70 years. If you recall, 
It was Daniel who was reading the book of Jeremiah who got super stoked. Why? He said, we're almost to time to go home. It's 70 years is almost up. You're kidding me. This is only going to last 70 years. If you read the book of Jeremiah, just something very interesting. Jeremiah says, listen, guys, listen, listen up. We're going to go to Babylon, okay? And we're going to be there for 70 years. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go over there and be fruitful, serve the king, build houses. It's 70 years. Don't even look to coming back for 70 years. In the midst of Jeremiah, some false prophets were arose and they're like, listen, don't listen to Jeremiah. The dude's nuts. Two years we'll be back. There's always going to be opposition in your walk. If you truly are going to serve Jesus with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, with all of your soul, there's going to be opposition. There's always going to be telling somebody saying, listen to me, life is going to be just a little bit easier if you do it my way. And yet the word of God says, okay, 70 years, make the best of it. But after 70 years, you can come back and come back. And so what happens? They, they, 70 years is up, man. Daniel says, They're, it's up. And where do they get to go? They get to go home. They get to go home. And I started thinking about this home. Here's my question for you, church. Are you, are you ready to go home? Are you really ready to go home? Listen, let's be honest. I, I want to go to heaven because I'm in love with Jesus. And I want to be with him forever. Not because things on earth and things in my life are hard. You'll hear so many people go, I'm ready to get out of this place because my life just stinks and it's just hard. Listen, I get that, man. Life stinks, man. But Jesus said this. Right, jot this down. John chapter 16, verse 33 says, These things I have spoken to you. What, Lord? What did you speak? That you, that in me you may have peace. I want peace. He says, but in the world you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. What's he saying? He's saying, man, listen, if you're going to live for me, there's going to be trials and tribulation in your life. That's normal. I didn't get an amen. Because we don't want tribulation. We don't want trial. We don't want persecution. We want, listen, let's be honest, I want cruise control, okay? Can, can I just do Christianity with a four-lane highway, put it on cruise, put on some tunes, let's do this. That's what I want. I'm not lying to you. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, listen, this is going to be tough. This is going to be hard. People are going to oppose you. People are going to mock you. You're going to lose friends because of your witness. And, 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 and I want to go to heaven, guys, because I love Jesus, not because I'm tired of life on earth. You go, Why? Because the, the moment I get tired of life on earth and I want to go home, I stop witnessing. I stop being who God is calling me to be. I'm now living in a negative, not a positive. Because when I love Jesus, I want other people to go love Jesus. When I love Jesus, when, when I'm ready to be with him and I'm ready to go home, I want others to go home with me. When I'm in a negative way, when I'm bummed out, when I'm super stressed, Man, you just kind of go, listen, I'm ready to go home. I'm just ready to go home. And I live negatively. Now, if you're taking notes, guys, back in our study, the book of Ezra begins with Cyrus's decree. Remember 538. 
he says the Jews could return to Jerusalem. Two years later, 536, about 50,000 Jews flooded into Jerusalem and began the temple project, okay? Now, if you're taking note, I'm calling this messages, promises, promises. Now, if you're an 80s kid, you remember that song? That was a negative commentation. This is a positive. Why? For tonight, we discover that God does keep his promise. He told them they would return home in 70 years, and that time has come. As we make our way through chapter 1, guys, let us remember that God does keep his promise to us. You see, that's our first foundation, that God keeps his promise. Here's the lesson. You ready? Here's the lesson we need to grasp. Spiritual renewal, spiritual revival requires God's great power working according to his gracious promises for his glorious purpose. You go, what? Spiritual renewal requires God's great power working according to his gracious promises for his glorious purpose. That's the lesson we need to learn. Pastor, can you say it again? Absolutely. Spiritual renewal requires God's great power working according to his gracious promises for his glorious purpose. And that's where we pick it up, guys. We're only going to look at four verses, but here's where Cyrus gives the decree. Look at Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and he also put it in writing, saying, now, Here's what I want you to note. Note there's a comma between the thought. Notice there's a comma. The thought continues, but I want to take a moment to break down chapter, verse 1. I want to take down a moment, okay? The first thing we learn tonight, you ready? The first thing is that Cyrus has now conquered, what? Babylon. Not as his first year as king of Persia. That happened in 560 BC, but... Think about it. This is now what? He says this. Now in the first year of Cyrus the king of Cyrus the king of Persia. Now why is that important? Why is that important? Here's what I want to exhort you tonight. Guys, we need to develop a desire not only to read God's word but to study it as well. You go, what do you why? What what do you mean? If you were to simply read this and you said, wait a minute, I read somewhere where, where, where Cyrus became king at 560 BC, but now it's 538 BC, and this one says that he became king. What's going on? Here's what happens, guys. If you simply read without a little bit of study, without a little bit of exegesis, here's what's going to happen, right? We can become confused. I'm not sure what the word of God says, and we can do two things. One of them, we can put the word of God aside and say, I don't know, it's confusing, or the devil will come in and get a foothold and bring doubt in our lives to the word of God. Well, how can you trust the word of God? One of the times says he was the king in 560 BC. Now, this one says that he gave a decree in 538. And then in 536, they went and they started to build the temple. Which is it? Well, we have to study. We have to study. And that's exactly 
It's exactly what we learn. We learn that you and I, we need to take some time to study the word of God. We need to do a little bit of history lesson. We need to be able to come into church and go, oh, okay, that makes sense. Listen, I'm the first one on the bus to, for encouraging and positive and, you know, uplifting messages. But I want to know that the word of God stands true, specifically when I need him the most. I need to know. I need to know. First lesson. What's our first lesson? Study the word of God. Study it. Pull it out. Pastor, I'm not sure how. A basic concordance? A little bit of study? A little bit of looking? Okay, I get it. Okay, so there, there we go. The second thing we learn, second thing we learn tonight, guys, is the word came by Jeremiah that, would, that it would be fulfilled. You go, what does that mean? Jot this down. God's promise is true. What do you mean? Okay, hold your finger here in Ezra. Go, go over to Jeremiah 25. Jeremiah 25, you should already be there. We're going to pick it up in verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah concerning the people of Judah. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, so he's, he's taking us back. Okay, we're back in time. Which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people in Judah and to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, look at verse 3, guys. From the 13th year, Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah, even to this day, this is the 23rd year in which the word of the Lord has come to me. I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking to you, but you have not listened. And the Lord has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, rising earlier and sending them but you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear. What did they say, pastor? They said, repent now, everyone of his evil way and of evil doing and dwell in the land the Lord has given you and your fathers forever and ever. Do not go after other gods and serve them and worship them. Do not provoke me to anger with these works of your hands and I will not harm you. Yet you have not listened to me, says the Lord that you might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all of the families of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant. Everybody see that? This is a heathen king who is a servant of the Lord, and he will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, and against the nations all around, and I will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment, a hissing, a perpetual desolation. Moreover, I will take from the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride and the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp, and this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. These nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Did you see what Jeremiah said? Jeremiah's warning Israel, guys. Jeremiah's guys, listen, you're, you're being sucked into idolatry. You're being sucked into serving other gods. Please don't listen. And he says, but listen, straight up, you have not listened. 
You have not listened. You've, you, 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 you're not listening to me. And because of that, here's the judgment. Here's the judgment. And then he says, you guys are going to go to Babylon for 70 years. And then here's God's promise. Look at verse 12. Then it will come to pass when 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation and the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity, says the Lord. And I will make it a perpetual desolation. There's the promise. There's the promise. God goes, listen, after 70 years, it was this portion of scripture that Daniel got excited about. He's going, then it will come to pass 70. It's almost time to go home. Now, what's the point, guys? What's the point? The point is God kept his promise. God kept his promise. Hey, question. How many promises do we really know that God has? Listen, if he's got all these promises for us, I want to know. But maybe, maybe if we're really good, we can name two or three. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a good promise. Amen. I don't know anyone. We need to know his promises, don't you think? I mean, they're for me. And if he keeps them, I want to know. I want to know. I want to know promises. Yes, this is, they're for me. Okay, let's go back to that one. You know, the Bible tells us that God will never leave us or forsake us. Can I get a good amen? amen. Do you really believe it? Do you? He'll never leave you. He's always with you. He'll never forsake you. But do you really, really believe it? Even in those times of severe loneliness, do you trust that God is with you and he will never forsake you? See, that's, that's the issue. That's the issue. If we can be honest in church, there's some of us in here that goes, I think I really believe it. Others are going, I don't know if I really believe this because I felt so lonely before in my life. I don't know if I really believe it. And it's because, again, we want to draw what? Closer to Jesus so that you do believe it. Jeremiah says, here's the promise. It's going to come to pass. It's going to come to pass. Pastor, my life stinks today. It'll come to pass. Trust me. It'll be all right. It'll be all right. Why? Because God loves you. God loves you. Now listen, listen, listen. I'm gonna, you guys get a sneak preview, but I'm gonna bring this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring this up on, on Sunday. But listen, listen. The, the little boy in Capernaum, 16 miles away, Jesus, what did he say? He said, go your way, your son lives. And the nobleman said, and he walked off. He believed. The next day he saw his son, Daddy! Thump-thump, 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 thump-thump. You know who didn't see? His disciples. Well, Pastor, wait a minute, wait a minute. John wrote that it was the next day. Yeah, see, John didn't write it right away. John probably hung out with Jesus for a while. We're not sure. Ended up at Capernaum sometime and then wrote it. Oh, this was the nobleman's son. This is, tell me what happened. And he wrote it. You guys tracking with me? So what you go, Pastor, what, what was the point? The disciples had a bigger task than the man because they still didn't believe. They didn't know. 
As far as they knew, the disciples, as far as they knew, the man went home. He didn't go home. And they're still hanging out with you. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? The disciples say, hey, so what do you think? The little boy got healed? I don't know. What Jesus said, right? Well, do you believe? I, th- I think so. I, th- I think so. Yes, I'm, 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 I'm going to believe. I'm how will we know? I don't know. When, when are we going to Jesus? When are we going to Capernaum? When, when are we going to go? Just we're just going to go to Capernaum because isn't that what we need, church? Sometimes our faith needs that reassurance. You know what? They believe because they believe the promises of God that they were true and Amen. And again, He's exhorting us. Third thing. Third thing that we learn. It was a stirring. It was a stirring of God's spirit into Cyrus's spirit to what? To decree freedom. If Nebuchadnezzar was God's servant, so was Cyrus. So was Cyrus. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom. And also he put it in writing. Hey, if you, if you're taking notes, jot this down. Proverbs 21 and 1 says this. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Here's some, here's some great application. You ready? Here's some great news. That's great news for us here in America. You go, what do you mean? Guys, listen, we don't have to worry, help me, who our leaders are. We don't have to worry who the president of the United States is. You know what we're supposed to do biblically? We're supposed to pray for him. I'm not supposed to worry what he does. Why? Because the word of God just declared to me that the king's heart, the president's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He's directing Nebuchadnezzar. He's directing Cyrus. He's definitely directing us. I can rest. Listen, you've, you've, you've seen that on Facebook, right? It doesn't matter who's president. God's still on the throne. That really is. That, that really is. I mean, it's, it's, that's the key, right? But who better to walk and live than you and I as believers? What do you think about President Trump? I love Jesus. He's on the throne. Well, what do you think he's going to do? I don't know, but God's going to direct his heart. Listen, I got enough to worry about in my life, in my little sphere, to worry, to bring people to Christ. I'm just, two things I got to do in my life. You go, what's that? Love Jesus and win people to Jesus. That's all I got to do. That's all I got to do. Love Jesus. Well, what do you think? I mean, don't you have any interest? Well, let me just quote Proverbs 21.1. Man, the king's heart belongs in the hand of the Lord. He, like the rivers, he directs it wherever he wishes. All right, guys, let's look at the decree real quick. Let's look at the decree. The decree. Verse 2. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth of the Lord of heaven has given to me, and he has commanded me to build who? Him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him, and let him go to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. Verse 4. 
And whoever is left in the place where he dwells, let the men of this place help him with the silver, gold, the goods, the livestock, besides the free will offering for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. You go, Pastor, I'm not sure what the decree was. Okay, we can grasp two important things that are happening right here, okay? Let's talk about the first one. On a practical level, Cyrus proclaiming that God put in his heart to let Israel go back and build the temple, right? Build the house of the Lord, the place where the Jews can worship God. He also says that those who can go and want to go, he says, go ahead and go. He says, if you want to stay, go ahead and stay. But if you're going to stay here in Babylon, I want you to support those that are going. That's what it just said. That's the decree. You want to go? I want to go back. I want to go home. Great. Go. You going to stay? I, I, li, listen, I got my family here. I got my land. I've got a great thing. Okay, then you need to support those that are going. You need to support this. You need to support the what? The building of the temple. And you go, well, how can we apply this? It's really simple, guys. I want you to think of the mission field. Okay? There are those who can go out in Jesus' name, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They leave everything behind and they focus on the work that the Lord has given him or her. Now they can go, why church? Because those who stay behind will support them in the mission field. We say this, there are goers and then there are senders. Brian and Autumn Hodges, they are goers. You and I who are here should be supporting them. They're in Ethiopia. That's You see the biblical principle, right? It also can be a principle applied to us as a church. Why? There are a lot of people who are not called to full-time ministry but they can financially support those who are called to do it. You see, a lot of times we have, <clears throat> we have distorted tithes and offerings and money. And so all of a sudden people go, uh, and, and, and they'll fight you all the way when it comes to their wallet, yet the bottom line is God has blessed you with a job God has blessed you financially. He hasn't called you into the ministry full time. He's called you into the ministry. We learned that last week. But as you give, then you're able to support those who go, man, I want to be here full time. I want to, I want to serve. And here's the, here's the beauty. Both share in the harvest. You go, pastor, I'm not a really good speaker, but I got a generous heart and I give. You know what happens is that when people come to Jesus, God looks at that and goes, Amen, Amen. Because we're, we're, we're partnering together. A lot of times, guys, we miss the blessing because pastors won't talk about tithing. and won't talk about giving. People want to hold on to their dollars. And it's like, listen, what are you going to do with it? You want to take it with you? How are you going to stand before Almighty God going, listen, I blessed you so well, and I wanted you just to support. I'm not, I didn't ask you to give it all away. I only asked you to give 10. And you're going, oh. He said, listen, your little 10% with all of your faith, I used it, and I multiplied the church, 
And we were able to get radio, we were able to get the gospel out, we were able to do mission trips, we were able to do all kinds of stuff to see people come to Jesus. Thank you. But we've abused tithing so much, we've abused it that people are real gun shy. We, we've abused ourselves, guys, financially that we've gotten ourselves into so much debt that we can't. And the Lord is going, let's, let's work together as sowers and reapers. Second, second thing. We're getting ready to close. Notice the second way of looking at this decree. You go, what's that? It's the gospel message. He says, any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem. Can I get an Amen. What are you going to do in Jerusalem? I'm going to rebuild the temple. And, and Cyrus says, may God be with you. Guys, this is our call to come to Jesus and to be set free from the bondage of sin. You see, Israel was in captivity in Babylon. He says, if you, if you hear the calling, go. And a lot of them said, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. It's Psalm 95, verse 8, that says this. The Lord says, don't harden your hearts as Israel did in Meribah, as they did in Massa in the wilderness. He says, listen, when you hear the voice of the Lord, guys, don't harden your heart. He says, you see, mankind has been in bondage and captivity for more than 70 years. It was only 70 years for Israel. But God saw the bondage we were in. He saw the captivity that we were under. He saw how we were under the snare of sin and darkness and evil. And he said, I have a way to set them free. I want to send my son to die and set them free. I'm going to take their penalty on me so that when my children come to me, they can be set free. If you're here, if you hear his voice tonight, church, don't harden your heart. Just come home. Come home. This is God's promise, okay? Here's our foundation. You ready? According to Isaiah 44, verse 28, we read this. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. He shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built. And to the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Isaiah, he's telling, listen, listen, this is my promise. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. The book of Ezra is, is guys, is a fulfillment of Isaiah 44, 28, where God promised Israel, that they would return, and they did. Here's our challenge. You ready? It's far too easy, church. It's far too easy to get, to settle into a comfortable, routine Christianity. Our hearts should be ready for revival. Revival in our lives, revival. You go, well, how does revival start? You ready? You ready? Draw a circle. 
step in that circle and revive everything in that circle. Revive everything in that circle. Let distractions go. Things that are pulling you away from Jesus, let them go. Revive everything. Lord, revive me. Revive me. And what happens, guys, is that you'll get so on fire for the Lord that people for miles around will come and watch you burn. We need his spirit. We need his, we need his spirit for revival. Father, we pray for your spirit to come and fill this place for revival. We pray that our hearts would, would be like the deer that pants for the water. That's how we should be panting for you, Lord, and I am so guilty. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to me, Lord, and the fact that, Lord, I, I, I just want to know you, God. I want to know you even more. Let the things that are distractions fade away in my life. Help me to keep my eyes on you and to walk in you and to trust you. Revive us, God. Every one of us in this room, revive us. Bring us to the place where we're serving you, where we're loving you. Help us not to be drifting away week by week, month by month, year by year. But God, that we come hungry. And so we know your word and we know you because you are your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.